0: what's up y'all this is uh the red-blooded outdoors podcast and i am your host your only host solo host cornbread uh no racheloon this evening he is uh currently helping a good buddy of ours move and uh i'm taking this opportunity to do something to do to start a project that that i've been wanting to start been wanting to do um it's going to be a multi-part series uh that i'm titling raising hunters uh i've i've been blessed the lord has blessed me with two awesome sons uh the oldest being Buck who's 21 years old and of course the co-host of this show Cooney Rachaloon, who's 18 years old and uh, I've been blessed that that them two boys share a love of the outdoors share a love of hunting share a love of conservation share a love of learning uh, sharing a love of just wanting to, to be out there and learn about animals and learn about plants and learn about dirt and water and the weather and and everything else just like me and uh the lord has blessed me with the opportunity to also not only teach them uh how i hunt and how to hunt Uh, lord knows i made a lot of mistakes and learned along the way and so have they uh but also my two nephews uh austin who is currently a u.s marine and is 20 years old um and my youngest nephew known as tulo g who has been on the podcast a few times who as a matter of fact tomorrow turns 13 years old i've had the blessing of of having them along on multiple hunts and i wanted to take this opportunity to do this series raising hunters uh You know, I was sort of torn what to name it, raising sportsmen, raising outdoorsmen. But, you know, primarily, uh, if you took a percentage-wise, it's 90% hunting and the rest and fishing uh, of what we do, how we spend our time together, Um, you know, hunting, fishing, planting food plots, hiking, you name it. You know, they've they've always been game to do it. And as they're they're growing older, you know, they got girlfriends. They got full-time jobs. Uh, They're living away from, Buck, you know, was living away from us for a year. And uh, the time we get to spend together isn't nowhere near as frequent now. And I wanted to, not only for y'all, the listeners, uh, to express what it's meant to me to be able to have this blessing uh and record this not only for y'all the listeners but for my kids so it'll always be here for myself so i can get these memories out uh there's so many memories that we have that you know as we make new ones we pile them up on top of each other and i think it's valuable to to talk back through it and um just really see and figure out how their love for the outdoors was shaped and how it's correlated into them becoming young men. And I felt it was uh, a good idea to do it alone from, from my perspective to get my perspective on it. And then maybe later on when the series is finished, we'll get into uh, talking to them. Once they've listened to it and get their opinion on certain episodes or certain topics, so on and so forth. But I think it's important to, in this series, to start off with how me, myself. Now, it's going to primarily be about the boys. Buck, Cooney, Austin, and Tulo G of their hunting career so to speak their outdoor career uh you know them growing up hunting how you know the the things that we did the things that i learned and the mistakes that i made and teaching them to hunt and fish and and the mistakes just all around uh But I also think it's important to sort of start off with just a tad bit about myself on why I even became a hunter. Where did my love for the the outdoors come from? Where did my love of animals come from? And all the things that coincide with all of that. So when I was probably around five years old, my biological father... He went to prison and um, once he went to prison, my mom, myself and my sister, we moved in with my mother's parents, my mama and papa. And so my papa become my father figure. Old timey foot washing Baptist deacon. I mean, a true man of God. I never heard him say one single cuss word. Stood six foot two, well over three hundred pounds. You, you know, when you think about the old timers wearing overalls, that this was my papa to the T, to the T. He had a small little farm, and we moved in with him. And I remember hearing him, hearing him preach and pray and he would get in the spirit at church or at his house it might be out in the field and he would get in the the spirit and I would remember him clapping his hands and when he would clap his hands it would be so loud that it would hurt your ears it was this pop that I just I can't explain it I just can't explain it and you know he he cut pulpwood you know worked at a hardware store I remember I remember him telling me stories of working on the Altoona Dam here in Georgia Um, working on that I remember him telling me stories of him walking to the hospital when my mother was born uh, because they didn't have a car he didn't have a ride to get to the hospital so that was my father figure my grandmother was a stay-at-home mom a homemaker you know breakfast on the table every morning That one of one of my fondest memories of breakfast is you know I, I know a lot of people eat fruit for breakfast but biscuits and gravy and cantaloupe biscuits and gravy and cantaloupe I I just remember that. You know, we'd have salmon patties, scrambled Mm -hmm. salmon. I remember her breakfast is breakfast is like it's yesterday. And they've both passed on now. And uh man I wish I had those stories recorded recorded down. But you know, as my as my papa, my grandfather being my father figure, I truly believe That's where the love of the outdoors, the love of animals, um, primarily in harvesting the animals, came from. Was from watching him, the stories he told, the things that he showed me. Um, So here I am, five, going on six years old. I remember it very specifically, one November, uh, because I remember talking about my birthday that day. And my birthday's in November is why I remember the month. And I don't know why, but it seemed like back then, like November and December was always way colder here in Georgia. It just seemed like when I was a kid, um, I was born in 76, so we're talking the early 80s. It just seemed like November and December was way colder. But they lived in a house... Um, And they had no central heat in there, my grandmother and grandfather. It had a wood stove in the front of the house. And then in the back of the house, it had a fireplace. And that fireplace didn't get lit unless there was family coming over for Thanksgiving or Christmas, something of that nature. Or... um. The, of course, the wood stove would always be lit. The wood stove would always be lit. Or if, you know, guests from the church was coming over. If they had company coming over, then that back far place would get lit. So I remember this one November. It's probably my earliest memory that I still hold pretty, you know, pretty vividly. Um. This 1 November I woke up and I remember the breath I could see my breath you're covered you're covered in this quilt these old heavy quilts that when when you're covered up with them you you don't even try to move you don't want to move hey it's already so cold you don't want to get that air in between you and the quilt to go. So you just lay as still as possible. It's so cold in this room. And I remember waking up and being under that quilt and seeing my breath uh and I and I caught this smell. Now I had no idea this smell at the time that it was coming from outside, but I caught a smell and I thought, well, you know, Mama's got breakfast ready, so I get up and I go in there and of course she had breakfast uh biscuits and gravy and cantaloupe and i remember asking her where's papa and them you know where's papa at? and she said they're out there killing hogs now papa had a hog pen and he had hogs and up until the time i moved there i just knew that he had hogs and that yes he did kill them and and eat them and we ate them but it never been a part of it and So, I, you know, I wolf my breakfast down and I tell her I'm going out there. And she said, okay, don't get around that water. Don't get around that water. And I go out there and I remember this humongous hog that's up on this skinning rat. And he's boiling pots of water and them scraping the hair off this pig. And uh, they was processing these pigs and the smell that i had been that i'd smelled when i woke up was they was making fresh pork cracklings out there in the grease fresh pork cracklings and i remember there was one pig left in the pen and and i watched these men work work this hog that skinned up skinning the scraping the hair off of it and of course at the time i i couldn't i didn't know anything that they were actually doing um and then any, anytime i would get close in fear of me falling in that water that boiling water this you know you're talking a huge cauldron style pot one of the big black pots that's just got boiling water in it and um they're scalding, they're dipping this hog down in this big, humongous pot and they're scraping the hair off of it. They're scalding the hide and watching these men work this pig. And the pig that was left in the pen, he went too. And I was there to witness that. And they didn't take him with a gun. Uh, I'm, you know, for the people that may not want to hear it or whatever, uh, they used a sledgehammer so i'm not going to get into too much of the detail about that but that's how that's how they did it they didn't use a gun uh they used a sledgehammer and it was fast it was quick uh regardless of how anyone may feel about it it was humane there wasn't a lot of blood there wasn't a lot of squealing and uh so i that morning is just so vivid in my mind i you know, a lot of times I think about it and if, if the, the memory comes strong enough, vivid enough, you know, I can just see myself laying there and the breath coming out and that smell and my first experience of actually seeing a dead animal and these men out there i don't remember any of the other men's names or any of the such and you know my papa of course he's he's running the show you know he's telling everybody what to do next and so on and so forth and so that that was my first experience even seeing a, a dead animal and uh, i remember helping him as they got the pigs worked up he had uh He had one building, we called it the smokehouse. Now, up until this time, I didn't know even what the smokehouse was meant for. I just know that was the smokehouse. And every once in a while, there'd be something in the smokehouse he'd need. And he might say, go get this from the smokehouse. Or he might say, I'm going to the smokehouse. But in the smokehouse was this big, humongous box made out of wood. Now, he built his house And these various barns on his little farm by himself with his hands. They were all built by hand. They're all made out of rough cut lumber. And inside this smokehouse, you walk in, it's a barn uh, fashioned building. You walk in there and to the left, there was a whole table across the whole side of it. And half of that table, it was roughly 10, 12 foot long. Probably four and a half foot off the floor. It was really high off the floor. Uh, I remember I had to stand on a bucket to see inside the box. And he flipped this box up that was also made out of wood, and it was slap full of salt. And I remember helping him. Didn't know what I was doing, but handing him meat, helping him pack this meat and this salt and uh that that was my first experience, like I said, of seeing an animal dead uh partaking very little but actually partaking in working a dead animal, processing getting the meat from the dead animal and uh man, that's just an awesome memory i'm I'm so glad so blessed that, that I'm able to record this memory i'm i'm so blessed that i i got to be a part of that and later on in the years me and a bunch of my buddies you know we raised some pigs and pretty much did the whole process ourselves the same way other we didn't make fresh pork cracklings but we had some pigs and we slaughtered the pigs from raising them from a baby all the way up to You know getting and making the sausage ourselves, and um, I attribute that to the the want to do that because there was time in between to where I had it's not that I learned how to do that that day because that's that's not what happened I gained the want to do that from seeing my papa do it who was my father figure. You know, this is what he did. Uh, so I gained the want to do that later on in life again because that was one of my earliest memories. One of my earliest memories. And another another memory um, that stuck with me that, uh, you know, really got instilled with, into me that made me want to hunt, made me want to be a part of the outdoors more was 150 200 yards from their house there would be this three sometimes four 55 gallon drums uh rusty barrels so to speak laying on their side and i i remember i remember every evening when my papa come home they lived on a dirt road and uh it's since been paved but back then it was dirt and you know so you can hear the cars coming from a ways on the gravel and um, we'd be waiting knowing what time he come and I remember their their house was up on a small rise, so when he turned into the driveway the driveway would go up a hill and it would make an even more distinct sound on the rocks and uh, I remember hearing him turn in and me and my cousin Poojie, we'd go running out the house, running out the front front porch. And, you know, there'd be the pop of the screen door from the house and then the pop of the screen door from the porch. And he'd come pulling up right there. And we'd both always run out there and jump on the bumper, the back bumper of his truck and hold on to the tailgate. And as he was riding, riding down there, he'd always holler, y'all boys, get off the back of that truck. And sometimes there was a a spot in the in the in the yard there where when family or friends or guests come over and they'd turn around in it, it'd water a huge mud hole out. And if we was lucky and he'd go through there and it had rained recently, that water would all splash up on us. You know, we we got a kick out of that. But every time my papa would pull into the driveway out of these barrels would emerge these dogs and they would just start pitching a fit and I remembered when I was a kid wondering about those dogs these dogs at the time I didn't know what you called this color but they were brindle. they were brindle looking dogs and their bark was unlike any other dog you know when I was a kid it was not unusual to see dogs running around loose That was a common thing. They didn't look like any of the dogs that chased us when we rode down the road to the creek on our bicycles. They didn't bark like any dogs that I seen on TV. They didn't look like any dogs on TV. They didn't look like any dogs when we'd go to the flea market when people would have puppies for sale. They didn't look like none of those dogs. And... They didn't bark like the other dogs. And they, they had a funny color to them. And they had names like chocolate, <clears throat> midnight, charcoal. They had names that, that all coincided with really dark colors. And I always thought to, my, thought to myself that there is something with these dogs. You know, I'm just a little kid. I'm just a little kid. I later learned... Um, uh, that those were coon hounds. My pa and every time they would bark when papa come up in the yard is because it was time to be fed. And he called my mama Ma. I remember him he'd say, Ma, where's the scraps at? And he'd go in there and get the table scraps from the supper before, you know, last night's supper, breakfast. And whatever she or and the grandkids had for lunch and so on and so forth and he'd feed them you know their food along with these table scraps and uh but they they barked every time he pulled up in the yard because they knew they was about to get fed or they knew they was about to go a hunting and uh I remember he'd have buddies come over and they'd load the dogs up and I just remember them things barking and barking and barking and what's interesting about that is now I don't have no barking dog if I've got a hound he ain't gonna bark he is not gonna bark like that and uh it never bothered my papa I remember he'd holler every once in a while y'all shut up y'all hush you know he'd holler out there hush your mouth and uh They'd hush, too. When he said hush, they'd hush up. And uh, I was just mesmerized by those dogs not looking like any other dog and not sounding like any other dog. And, I, you know, I would talk to to people later on in the years. You know, my mama and papa have since passed. And a lot of people would, would talk about how they would go hunting with my Pawpaw, coon hunting with my papa, And the coon hunt would turn into prayer meeting. They would get out there talking about Jesus and praying and preaching. And uh, I remember one one specific story my papa told me. Is, uh, he was, him and a guy named Harold Turner had been coon hunting. And they was headed back in a truck that had a camper shell and and a door on the back. And they was going down through there driving home and they were talking about Jesus. And they were in the spirit and the car was a little the truck was a little swervy on the road. Well, the state patrol pulled them over. And my papa's brother was known to run a little moonshine in the area. And the state patrol. Was adamant about seeing. What was in the back of that truck. And. They told him numerous times. You know hey this is what was going on. We was. We was praying. And you know. Going down the road. And probably swerved a little bit. Because of that. And my papa's like me. When he. When he gets in the spirit. When he get really gets to praying. And it gets on him. The spirit gets on him, he'd cry, and he'd be loud. So I could only imagine what the, what the car, the truck, excuse me, was actually doing. And the state patrol was adamant about checking what was in that truck. He knew there was hounds in there. And, you know, this is old-timey coon hunting. This ain't dog boxes and tracking collars. This is you open the tailgate and the dogs is gone they going to hunting and i remember him telling me that he finally told him okay open that door but those dogs are going to run out and you're going to have to help us catch them and he said that state patrol opened that door and when he opened that door them hounds bolted out of the back of that truck and run slap over him he said it knocked him to the ground and uh he you know, of course he's laughing as he's telling me the story and the state patrol helped him helped him get the dogs up, helped him round them up. And uh I didn't know it at the time. You know, in in all those years of, of being with my Pawpaw, I didn't know there was any other coon type of coon hound, any other breed other than the type he had. I didn't know it. I didn't know there was any other type of until i was probably about 14 years old and the type of hounds he had were plot hounds that's what he had was plot hounds and uh, i remember him telling the story about how you know he got big money so to speak for a dog and he sold that dog for like 800 bucks and I, now I can't tell you what year that was it you know it was early 80s but the exact year and how he was talking about how you know he got some big money for one of those dogs which nowadays $800 for a for a hound is nothing $800 you'll pay $800 for a hound that ain't worth a dollar in my opinion that you know those types of hounds are dime a dozen now but yeah, you know, it's those memories right there, it's those things um that got me interested in the outdoors, that got me interested in coon hunting, that got me interested in the fact that we can process our own meat, we can raise our own food. We uh it was just awesome growing up around that house. I remember in the back in the summers when when we would have the late the the really really late evening showers, the thunderstorms, the pop-up storms, you know, when it's in the 90s and these downpours would hit and me and my cousin would have to run in the house and you know, wait the storm out. And then when it stopped raining, you know, we didn't stay in the house. Mama would tell us we needed to go outside and play. And so we'd run outside and play. They didn't have, like I said, central heat and air. So you didn't go in the house to escape the heat at all. The only escape to the heat from going in the house would be that the house, the inside of the house was shady. And I remember they had these old metal fans. You know, so you're sitting in there listening to the constant hum of that fan if you went in there. The, uh, it was just so wild how when we would go outside and after those big storms and there would be these humongous bullfrogs hopping around all around the house. I'm talking humongous bullfrogs hopping all around the house. And me and my cousin would just run out there and grab a bucket and just see how many bullfrogs we could catch. And I I can't tell you the last time I've seen one of those bullfrogs. And we, we would almost hope it rained so the bullfrogs would come out. You know, we would be, I hope it rains today. We ain't ain't caught no bullfrogs in a while. Um, And just running around, catching bullfrogs, you know, snakes all around that little farm there. You know, Papa would plow a garden. I remember garden time. Every time he'd plow the ground up for garden, you know, we'd always run into a snake or two. Um, I'll get into planting the gardens a little bit later on but it was just so it was so simple as a kid being there it it was just so simple as a kid being there I I look at what my kids and my, my sons and nieces and nephews um Their young lives, that age, you know, it was, it just seemed to be so much more complex. You know, going to school, you, even the early years, you got to get on the computer to do this, you got to, you got to get on the computer to do that. And we didn't have any of that at all. You know, going to school, we went to school at, you know kindergarten first second grade you went to school and that was it you come home there was nothing else to do but be outside to enjoy those animals that was that was it that's all we had um to to hope it rained so we could get out there and catch some bullfrogs to sit there and listen to those dogs bark to sit there and listen to those dogs bark. I remember late late of the evening sitting on that front porch. Um, and I particularly remember uh, two of my aunts, they were twins, named Dale and Debbie. And Debbie has since passed on. And every time I hear a whippoorwill, I think of her, Debbie. Because I remember uh shoot they those twins were the youngest of my mo- mother's sisters and uh I remember sitting on the front porch no street lights nothing of the sort very few cars dirt road and I remember the whole family in the evenings would sit on the front porch and talk sit on the front porch and talk and I remember sitting in my aunt Debbie's Lap, and just hearing the whippoorwill for hours, for hours, and every every time now I go turkey hunting, or in the evenings in the spring, and I hear a whippoorwill, I always think of my aunt. I always think of my aunt. It was it was just. It's such a blessing. To uh, to have been there at such an early age, at such an early age. There's there's one more particular story, and then I'm gonna wrap up this this intro part one, whatever it may be, to this series. I remember in that back living room where that fireplace is that didn't get lit. Uh, there was two couches and. Three single chairs in there. So it was a really big living room. Really open. Um, But I remember sitting in that uh, living room. And on the wall. It was the first animal I'd ever seen mounted. Was a black squirrel. A black fox squirrel. And I remember my papa telling me. That when he shot that squirrel. And walked up. And went over there to get it. It bit him. And I'd always look at that squirrel. And how big that squirrel was. And how it was so much bigger. Than all the other squirrels. That's around the little farm there. And think wow. Look how big that squirrel is. I imagine that hurt when that squirrel beat him. And uh, later on you know I, i'm gonna say a couple years later after you know sitting there in that living room and i'd always look at that squirrel and think about him telling me that story he had took me he took me squirrel hunting and he shot a fox squirrel and i want you to know that that fox squirrel he walked up to it you know it was laying there shot thought it was dead He picked it up. And I want you to know that squirrel bit him too. After him telling me that first story. And then the first time he takes me squirrel hunting. The same thing happened. And I remember always thinking how mean squirrels were. How squirrels would just bite the far out of you. How they just lay in wait. How they just lay in wait. Playing like they're dead until you pick them up. And then they're going to bite you. I remember thinking that when I was a kid. Anytime I'd see a squirrel when I was a kid, you know, I'd be like, oh, that joker right there will bite you. He's he's just waiting to bite you. And, uh, man, what a blessing. What a blessing. I've got so many. You know, like I said, I don't want this series to be primarily about me. But I think it's important. Um to, to show where I got my interest and my love for uh, hunting and animals. So I'm going to keep it very brief on this, this early parts about me. But those three or four memories that I just shared with y'all are probably the earliest memories uh, that got me interested in animals and the outdoors. I appreciate y'all listening to this. Uh I'm looking forward to to getting to getting on with it. We'll holler at y'all.